called us to be holy, for he is holy and he hasn't changed. Your love for God is not demonstrated by what you believe, but by what you do. The devil believe and tremble. The greatest form of deception I mentioned is deception, is self-deception. We deceive ourselves when we say we believe something, but don't do what we say we believe. If you believe fornicating is wrong and you fornicate, then do you believe fornicating is wrong? If you believe committing adultery is wrong and you commit adultery, do you believe committing adultery is wrong? If you believe lying is wrong and you lie, do you believe lying is wrong? If you believe, then you will do. Otherwise, there's some disconnection. If you say you love God and you don't keep his commandments, just admit the fact that you are lying. That's Bible. You want to know what you believe? Look at what you do. See, if you were a believer and you were about to lie, the Holy Spirit will convict you. You got to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit to continue. If you're about to do something you're not supposed to do, the Holy Spirit will convict you. You got to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit to continue. And the people have ignored the conviction of the Holy Spirit to the point to where they become reprobate in their thinking and convince themselves even when they deny the work of the Holy Spirit that they love God still. We gotta stop lying to ourselves. Shalom saints and welcome to our verse by verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. The story of Jonah is well documented in scripture in a book bearing his name. The Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and all the people of Yeshua's day would have been familiar with the prophet Jonah and his exploits. Yeshua referenced Jonah on several occasions when asked by the religious leaders to perform a sign for them to prove himself to them. Most who preach about Jonah focus on the three days and three nights that Jonah was in the belly of the fish as Yeshua illustrated in one of his references to Jonah. However, there was much more to the story of Jonah. In this passage, Yeshua would use this opportunity after speaking about the sign of Jonah to call attention to the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees and to caution his disciples about their teachings. The message title in this podcast is Jonah, Yeshua, and False Teachings. So, let's study. The story of Jonah is well documented in scripture in a book bearing his name. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, scribes, and all the people of Yeshua's day would have been familiar with the prophet Jonah and his exploits. Yeshua referenced Jonah on several occasions when asked by the religious leaders to perform a sign for them to prove himself to them. Most who preach about Jonah focus on the three days and three nights 
Jonah was in the belly of the fish, as Yeshua illustrated in one of his references to Jonah. And he spoke about that in Matthew chapter 12. We'll look briefly at that today. However, there was much more to the story of Jonah. And this is what we're going to deal with in this passage. Yeshua would use this opportunity after speaking about the sign of Jonah to call attention to the teachings of Pharisees and Sadducees and caution his disciples about their teaching. As I've meditated on the journey that I've been on since walking away, if you would, from Sunday to really trying to honor the Almighty and His commandments. In a discussion that I was having this week, the thought came to me, whereas the Almighty gave us seven days, He gave us seven days every week, and all He asked of us is that one of those days we keep holy. Now, He gave us all the days, and let me say this, each and every one of us can do whatever we choose to do on any one of those days. You can choose not to honor the Sabbath. That would be opposed to what he desires, what he wants, but you can make that choice. You can choose not to obey his commandments. That's not what he wants of us, but that's your choice. He doesn't force you to tell the truth. He doesn't force you to do anything that you don't want to do. He asks of us to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And if we love him, we would do that. If we love him, we would do what he asked us to do. Just as if you love your wife and she asks you to do something, because of your love for her, you would do that. If you love your husband and he asks you to do something because of your love for him, you would do that, especially if what your wife or husband is asking you to do is not in violation of his word. That's how we demonstrate our love for one another through our actions. It's not just in words. You can tell somebody you love them all day long and be cheating on them. You can tell somebody you love them and then dishonor them, disrespect them. You see, our actions really show where we are and what we believe. In verse 1, Matthew chapter 16, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he should show them a sign from heaven. Now, here we are in the 16th chapter of Matthew. You can't get to the 16th chapter of Matthew, of course, unless you're in church, without going through the first 15 chapters. In other words, by the time a person gets to chapter 16, they should be familiar with the first 15 chapters. And in those 15 chapters, they should have an understanding by the time they get to the 16th chapter of some of the things that Yeshua is saying. And what we're going to see here is his own disciples, though they walked with him, though he showed himself, demonstrated, preached, taught, did miracles, they still had carnal thinking, 
which hindered them from thinking from a supernatural point of view. The thing that we are brothers and sisters, and we have to take account that if we are born again, we have the ability to think the thoughts of the most high. Now this is based on our minds being renewed. You can't think his thoughts if you don't know his word. You can't keep his commandments if you don't know what they are. If a man loves a woman, then what he's going to do is he's going to take the time to get to know her, not just her, her body. And this is where a lot of men make mistakes and and women make mistakes is that every last one of us in this room have a frame of reference, a way of thinking, a mode of operation. You were trained that way. And then you've adjusted yourself. You know what you like for the most part. You know what you don't like. And when people do things you don't like, you try to communicate that to them. They either hear you or they don't hear you. The reason why most relationships don't work is because a person hear, but they don't hear. They hear, but they don't hear. It's like I done told you a hundred times, and yet they don't get it. Why? Because they're focused more on what they want than what the other person wants. And if we're going to walk with the Almighty, like Yeshua says, you have to have ears to hear. You have to hear what he say. And if you hear what he say and you believe what he say, then you will do what he say. If you don't, there's a communication problem. And typically the problem is not with him. It's with us. We deceive ourselves. We are self-deceptive, self-focused, selfish. And when we come into relationship with him, we've got to deal with that. Because even when you come into relationship with the most high, you still have your will. <laughs> You are going to work for what you want. It doesn't necessarily change your goals. It doesn't necessarily change your ambition. It doesn't necessarily change your childhood dreams. You still have them. And if you are not mindful, you will continue to pursue the things you were pursuing before you became born again without putting that before him to see if this is what he approves of for you. <laughs> like politicians, you know, you hear him say, I'm such and such and, and I approve this message. <laughs> you know, I, I approve this message. Well, there are things that you have approved that he hasn't. And because you've approved it, you pursue it. So these Pharisees came and they were tempting him and they wanted to see a sign. Basically, it was, listen, if you are who you say you are, 
then prove it. Yeshua is like, I don't have to prove anything to you. I know who I am. You want me to perform a sign. I'm not performing a sign for you. He knew then that even if he did, okay, they would need to see another sign because they would question that one. Even as they questioned the fact that he was healing. Oh, well, you're healing by the power of the devil. You see, there are people, no matter what you say, no matter how you show them the scripture, they're going to have an excuse for rejecting what you got to say. Why? Because in their own heart, they're already convinced on how they're going to live and what they're going to do. And they don't want anybody telling them anything different, not even him. <laughs> That's hard, brothers and sisters. But if you examine yourself, you'll see it's true. This is the third time Matthew uses this word in his writing about tempting. The Bible says, Matthew wrote, they came tempting him. Now, we talk about the first mention principle when we deal with Bible hermeneutics, biblical hermeneutics, the art and science of interpreting scripture. We look at, okay, how is this word used? When was it first used? And does it consistently carry that meaning throughout? Matthew writes, they came tempting him. This is the third time he used the term tempting in his writing. The first two times is Matthew chapter four. Then was Yeshua led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. This should give us some illustration that where these individuals are coming from and Matthew's use of the word indicates that they are not coming by the spirit of the most high. They're coming by a different spirit. Secondly, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of Elohim, command, there you go. They came tempting him. If you be the son of God, show us a sign. The devil, if you be the son of God, show us, show me, do something to prove it. Do you know that when you try to do something to prove something to someone else, you have now come underneath their authority? Why are you doing what you're doing? For them. Some of you remember the dare? And then don't, don't do the double dog dare. You know, it's like somebody wants you to prove something. If you know who you are in him, the only one you need to be proving anything to is him. And how do you prove to him? You obey him. In verse two, he says, chapter 16, Matthew, he answered and said unto them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and lowering. You hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the signs of the times? The signs of the times. What did they want to see? They wanted to see a sign. And he's saying to them, listen, now I'm going to give the message away, but I'm going to give it to you right now. You can't discern the signs of the time. The signs of the time is I'm here. The one that you all have been believing for, for generations is right here in front of you. 
but you can't see it. You can't see it. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. In other words, they're looking for something other than what is right there in front of them. Can't see. Going searching for what you already have. It's like the man who marries a woman and then goes out and commit adultery with another woman. For what? Sex? You got a sex partner at home. Why are you out there with another woman if you married this one? You married this one because you said this is the one you want to be with. This is the one you want to spend the rest of your life with. Why are you with another one? What was the sign of Jonah? We'll get to it. Although you got it already. See, Yeshua had used this phrase, the sign of Jonah, earlier in his communications with the scribes and Pharisees. In chapter 12, verse 39, it says, but he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, because of teachings that we've heard, because of how we think, when a person hears Jonah, their minds go where? The belly of the fish. The three days and three nights. Some of you have heard that joke about the little girl and the woman, school teacher, where she asked, do you believe everything in this Bible? She says, yes. Even that story about Jonah in the fish belly for three days and three nights. She says, of course. How do you think he did it? How do you think he survived for three days and three nights in a fish belly? I don't know, the little girl replied. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him. Well, what if he ain't in heaven? Then you ask him. <laughs> there are those who believe that this story is fiction. They don't believe it. It doesn't seem plausible, feasible, doable. And yet we have it here in the book. It says, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now notice what he says. So shall the son of man. But then that's not the end of what he says. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment. And notice what it says here, please, because you'll miss it if you don't. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Jonah's story and Jonah's message was two different focuses. People focus on Jonah's story, which Yeshua highlighted, but I want us to look at it from a different angle. First of all, ask yourself, why would Jehovah send a Hebrew prophet to non-Hebrew people? That's the thing that should jump off the page. He sends 
a Hebrew prophet to a non-Hebrew people. This prophet was not sent to the people of Jehovah. The Ninevites were Assyrians. They were not Hebrew Israelites. Nineveh was not in Israel. It was outside of Israel. And yet, Jehovah sends a prophet to these people. Jonah's story was about Jonah's rebellion. The story of Jonah is about his rebellion, his resentment, and his self-pity. Jonah's rebellion. Jehovah sent him to Nineveh, but what did he do? he get on a boat and go in the opposite direction. He says, I want you to go here. He says, he didn't say, I'm not going. His actions said, I'm not going. You see, your actions speaks louder than your words. Now, there's a point here to be made, brothers and sisters, that he would rather die than to take the message to Nineveh. There's several times in the book of Jonah where he made this statement. First, he had the men on the ship throw him into the sea because when he got on that ship, father disrupted the waters and the ship began to go in the process to where it looks as if the people feared it would sink. They're calling on their gods. Jonah is in the ship's leap. It's like, you should be calling on your God. We calling on our God. He says, I don't need to call on my God because it's my God who's doing this. And I know why he's doing it because I'm not doing what he wants me to do. You all would be better off throwing me off the boat. This is what he said. He said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. Now, who would make a, a statement like that? Someone who wants to die, but won't commit suicide. He could have jumped, right? See, there are people, and you got to be aware of these people, because a person who wants to die, they will cause you some serious harm because they don't care. It's like, okay, well, if you want to take your life, you know, I'm not telling you to go and take your life, but just get away from me. Don't make my life miserable because your life is miserable. You don't want to serve the Almighty while you're attacking me and my service to him. You don't want to keep the Sabbath while you got to attack me keeping the Sabbath. You don't want to do his commandments while you got to attack me for keeping his commandments. There are people out there who aren't going to do what he wants and going to attack you because you are, because you now become a problem for them. Your presence, there's a conviction that your presence caused in the life of people who are disobedient. Oh, you goody, goody, two shoes. Oh, you think you holier than thou. Oh, you this and you that. Oh, you think you better than we are. You know, these kinds of statements that sometimes are warranted because of our behavior, but sometimes are not warranted because of our behavior. If we are doing, we don't have to publish it. You don't have to publish your righteousness 
your holiness, your commitment to the Almighty. Just live committed. Be committed. Do what he asks of you to do. So he says, y'all should throw me in, so shall the sea be calm. <clears throat> if you get rid of me, all this will go away. For I know that for my sake, this great tempest is upon you. So he knew he was the issue. Secondly, he told Jehovah he wanted to die because Jehovah repented from destroying Nineveh. John 4.1 a Jonah for one, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. He was angry at the almighty. This is why he didn't want to go in the first place. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country. Therefore I left, I fled before unto Tarsus because I knew, I knew that if I went to Tarsus and told them what you told me to tell them that you are gracious a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech you, I beg you, take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Why? He despised the people of Nineveh. He didn't want to see them saved. He didn't want to see them delivered. He didn't want to see them in right relationship. He wanted God to burn them, destroy them. You know, there are messianics who want God to destroy some people. There are Hebrew roots people who want God to destroy some people. Burn them off the face of the earth. That'll teach them. Jonah cared more about a vine that died than the people of Nineveh. And wanted to die again. Father, Jonah goes out sulking, right? This is the self-pity. This is the self-resentment. He's already decided he don't want to die, so his life don't have meaning. It's like, okay, I want to die. I don't want to live. So he goes out. He starts, you know, having pity parties with himself. Father causes a tree to grow, a vine, to give him shade. And then Jonah was happy because of that. And then the same father who caused that vine to grow, Cause it to die. And Jonah got mad. He got angry. And God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And here's the thing. I do. He said, I'm angry enough to die. <laughs> but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight. It died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? He was more concerned about a vine. You got people that are concerned about their dog more than they're concerned about people. Their cat, more they're concerned about people. That's sad, but that's the world we live in, folks. Jonah's concern was not what Jehovah wanted, but for his own interests. And there are so many that are more concerned about what pleases them than what pleases him. And then convince themselves that it's okay. 
convince themselves that he sanctioned it. Convince themselves that he don't have an issue with it. Because after all, God wants me to be happy. Some Hebrews don't want father to minister or save some people groups. Again, they would prefer father destroy those people like Jonah wanted father to destroy Nineveh. I know some of these people. They have some real issues. A few years ago, I would say things like, do you think that father was concerned about Osama bin Laden, Adolf Hitler, Stalin? Think he's not concerned about the Iranians and the Palestinians, Hezbollah? The earth is his, the fullness thereof. There are people who feel justified by bombing other people instead of ministering to them because they're convinced they're not going to change. This is what causes people to separate, even to divorce, because they're convinced. God, as powerful as he is, can't change my husband, can't change my wife. The fact is, is he's trying to change you. You got your focus on somebody else and he's focusing on you. What somebody else does doesn't give you the right or the excuse or the authority to disobey him. There are people who justify within themselves their actions because of the actions of somebody else. Jonah's personal story was about rebellion. The message given to Jonah was a message of repentance. So you've got a rebellious person with a message of repentance who refused to deliver it and then resent self and the almighty for getting it done anyway. Now, father could have had that fish eat Jonah, but even in his rebellion, he had mercy. Even in his rebellion, he showed grace, compassion. Jonah wanted Nineveh to be destroyed. Jonah had more compassion for the shade tree than he had for the 120,000 people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh, and here, here's the thing, which is where we have to shift the focus. The people of Nineveh had no knowledge of Jonah's personal ordeal with the fish. They had no knowledge of how long he had been in the belly of a fish. The people of Nineveh only knew of the message Jonah delivered to them. That's all they knew. Now, we today, we know about the fish. We know about the rebellion. The people of Nineveh didn't see a rebellious prophet. They saw someone sent by the Almighty to tell them he was going to destroy them. The sign of Jonah wasn't the fish or the three days that was the sign of Jonah's rebellion. Folks of Nineveh didn't know it. Jonah certainly didn't tell them. <laughs> he didn't even want to be there. Jehovah did not tell Jonah the outcome of his message. But because he knew Jehovah, he knew Jehovah would have compassion on the people. The people of Nineveh believed the message of the prophet 
They fasted and repented when they heard the words of Jonah. Now, put Jonah as far as the people of Nineveh who came with the message and the people believed and repented and then put Yeshua in front of the Pharisees and the scribes, the Sadducees and Herod, a people who many would not repent, would not believe. Jonah's message was a message of repentance. The gospel of the kingdom is a message of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a gospel of repentance, just like Jonah's message to the Ninevites. The big difference is that Jonah was sent to people of Nineveh, non-Hebrew people. Yeshua was sent specifically to the lost sheep of Israel. So what was the sign of Jonah? I think it's a legitimate question. The sign of Jonah was Jonah. <laughs> Jonah was the sign. How do I know? Luke makes it clear. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to who? This generation. He says, I'm coming to you, sent by the Most High, just like Jonah was sent to the Ninevites. The thing with the Ninevites is they repented. Yeshua used many examples of non-Hebrew people that demonstrated more faith in Jehovah than his own people. We saw last week the Syrophoenician woman. We saw earlier the centurion. Great faith by the woman who said, you know, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. The centurion said, you don't have to come to my house, just speak the word. There are other places. Yeshua says, listen, when the prophet what was he sent? He was sent to a widow in Zion, not to a widow in Israel. When the prophet came, there were many lepers in the land. But who did the father heal? A Syrian leper. The last will be first. He said, you all have a problem because I'm eating with people that you consider to be dirt, unworthy. It's the sick. Now notice what he says, the healed don't need a physician. It's the sick who need a physician. And who was he sent to? Sick people. Who were they? The house of Israel. Now many here, the house of Israel is like, okay, they've got this idea that the house of Israel is not the house of Judah and that the house of Israel is lost and scattered. But what was Yeshua? He wasn't in the diaspora. He was in Israel. Among who? The lost sheep. Why? Because all of Israel was lost. Prevalent among Hebrew roots communities, Hebrew Israelites, Israelites, Jews, and Messianic believers is pride. This pride stems from keeping the Sabbath, the feasts, and selective commandments they believe give them status and special grace with Jehovah. People think that keeping the law is what saves them. Yeshua is who saves us. We keep the law because we love the Almighty and we want to be obedient to Him. You can keep the law all day long, but if you reject Yeshua, you're still damned. There are people who don't accept Yeshua and they keep the law. 
They go beyond keeping the law. Add more laws to the law to keep from violating the laws. And yet they reject the messenger. Many Hebrew Israelites who heard the teachings of Yeshua in that generation believed Jehovah and repented, including some Pharisees and non-Hebrews. The people of Yeshua's generation who believed the gospel, along with the men of Nineveh and the queen of the south, were the ones who would rise up and condemn those of that generation who rejected the gospel of the kingdom and fought against it. So imagine He's saying the men of Nineveh with this generation. Who's the with this generation? Well, his disciples were part of that generation. The 120 that was in the upper room on the day of Pentecost was part of that generation. The 500 or so he showed himself after his resurrection was that generation. See, many in the church has taught us that the Jews rejected Yeshua. Not all of them. There were many Hebrew people that accepted Yeshua. There were many, John the Baptist, the 12 disciples, including Judas. Judas just betrayed him, but he believed who he was. Many people followed. Yeshua had many, many disciples of that generation. And they had issue with the people who rejected, even throughout the book of Acts, when they were scattered because of persecution by who? Religious people. Many of that generation believed, just like many of this generation believe, and there are multitudes who reject the truth. In every generation, Father has had a people. Every generation, there has been a remnant of people who would hold the torch, the banner. Stand firm in the word and not give in to the pressures of peers or governments. Would rather suffer persecution. The book of Hebrews is full of them. And even now, today, verse 5, and when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Yeshua said unto them, take heed and beware. Now notice the issue here. The way the disciples think And what Yeshua was saying, did he mention bread? He says, take heed and beware of the leaven. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Did he mention bread? So here's what happens for many of us. We hear a word and we attribute meaning to it. We give it meaning. And from that moment, the moment we give it meaning, we start operating according to the meaning we gave it. Regardless to what he's saying, haven't even heard what he said. Many people today already believe what they believe when they come into the Hebrew roots. They already got their understanding of the deity or whether there be a trinity or not. It's a matter of taking some of the teachings they've heard in the Messianic and the Hebrew, uh, make some adjustments, and create their own doctrine. This is why you have so many different belief systems among Messianic people. 
people, messianic leaders and teachers who are teaching contrary to each other, focusing on Jewish history, Jewish theology, Jewish sages, Talmudic writings, Jewish writings, even over the word itself. People who are more into Torah portions and temple teachings than the teachings of Yeshua. And he said, listen, this temple is coming down. Folks trying to learn how to be like the temple. For what? Do you know that the temple was man-made? The Almighty didn't give a commandment to build a temple. He gave instructions for a tabernacle. Man built the temple. And people are focused on the temple, ignoring the fact that we are the temple and that the Almighty is our high priest and that the instructions and the commandments that he has given us are the same instructions and commandments that come from the Most High himself, the words that came out of his mouth. What is written in the Torah came straight forth from the mouth of Jehovah. And yet, Church teaching people to reject what comes out of the mouth of the Almighty and telling people man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that cometh forth out of the mouth of God. It's like, well, didn't the Torah come out of his mouth? Did it? Didn't he speak these things to Moses and Moses wrote them down? What's the difference between what he spoke to Moses and Moses wrote down and Yeshua affirming Moses? What he wrote, how shall I be saved, good master? Well, you know the commandments. What? How do you associate the commandments to salvation? The question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you know the commandments. Are you saying that the commandments have something to do with eternal life? You sure? Obviously thought so. That was his answer to the questions. Well, these I've kept from my youth. One thing you lack. Well, these I've kept for my youth. What's the greatest? Love the Almighty. What's the second? Love your neighbor. Wait a minute, where is this stuff coming from? The Torah. Where did the Torah come from? The mouth of God. Religion causes people to put their faith in the words that come out of their preacher's mouth. While they teach, you don't have to do what God said because that stuff is done away with. Wait a minute. So the words that he spoke are null and void now? Yeshua didn't seem to think that way. Matter of fact, he taught what he gave him, which was what he had said and told us, don't think I came to do away with that. I came to fulfill it. People here fulfill and they interpret, do away. So this is their interpretation. I didn't come to do away with the commandments. I came to do away with the commandments. Wait a minute, say that again? I didn't come, Yeshua says, I didn't come to do away with the commandments, but they say he came to do away with the commandments because he fulfilled them. So by fulfilling them, he did away with them. Mm. You see the contradiction and what would people rather believe? What they preachers say instead of what his words say. See, when you read the word without the preacher, you don't have an issue 
believe in what the word says. It's when you inject the preacher and your denominational doctrines and your statements of faith incorporated with your belief systems. Do you know out of all the people in this room, every last one of you have your own personal set of morals and values and doctrines and beliefs by how you live. Your husband don't necessarily agree 100% with the doctrine that you uphold to. Your wife don't agree 100% with the doctrine you hold to. You can have a room full of people and they believe this, but I don't know about that. And they accept this, but no, I don't think for this. I don't, I don't agree with that. And it's like, okay, well, how did your belief concerning the word get developed? You know what it is? This is a smorgasbord of teachings. I had to deal with this issue in my own life. As a minister, coming out of these different denominations, taking a belief system from one denomination to another denomination, only to be corrected in that denomination, having to share some of the things that I believe, but ability to hold on to some of the things that I learned, and even now today. Because there are things that are in me that I believe that when I look at Scripture, the Scripture says, that is felonious. That is not right. What you say you believe in your actions. I was having a conversation with my wife yesterday. There are things that I've taught. Things that I've taught. I taught them because the people who taught me were people that I looked up to and believed what they said when they taught it. Now here I am teaching what I've been taught. This is what denominations do. When you start searching the scriptures for the stuff you've been taught and trying to find justification for what you've been taught, oftentimes you will come to the conclusion what you've been taught is not what is written. This is why the majority of people who believe in God today are keeping Sunday as a holy day while desecrating the day he said, remember, and keep holy. If he says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, why aren't you believer in God? Remembering the Sabbath day he established and keeping it holy. How did you get on Sunday? God didn't teach you that. His word didn't teach you that. Who taught you that? The same person that told Mr. and Mrs. Adam they were naked. They were already naked. And they weren't ashamed. <laughs> Beware. The word here is to bring, to bring near, to bring to a ship. I want to jump down there to the last two, to turn the mind, to attend, to be attentive, to devote thought and effort to, to beware, to give heed to, to take heed to. So Yeshua is about to tell them about beware. Now, Matthew records Yeshua saying this word in reference to several things. And I want to drive these home. In Matthew 6, 1, he says, take heed that you do not your arms before men. So what is he saying? Don't give to be seen. Don't give. I remember being in church, you know, when the pastors, see, the pastors had a little network because we talk about it in the back room. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to have an offering and we want everybody in the church to give $1,000 or $500 or 
or $100. Now, we need somebody to get this started. So now they come out and they start preaching and everybody's getting into it and everybody's on board. And then the pastor wants to hear, you know, I hear the spirit of God telling me that there's a hundred people in this room that can give a thousand dollars. Now you've probably never been in that environment. And then one of the assigned hundred dollar giver pull out. I got, Next thing you know, here comes somebody else. And what's interesting is that it's only 52, not 100. So what's up with that? And now it's like, okay, well, those of y'all who couldn't give 100, give whatever you got. Wait a minute, did God tell you to say that? I'm telling you, there is so much manipulation that goes on that if you got discernment, some of you have discerned the manipulation and went along with it anyway. Because after all, you know, if you're part of this ministry, you don't want the pastor looking bad. You got to support the pastor. But, bro, you don't have $100 to give. God will bless me. But you got a shut-off notice. Well, God will bless me. And now it's been shut off. God will bless me. I mean, it's something that there were people in some of the churches. I mean, how can you move three and four times a year? Where's your stability? Some of us have been in the same house for a long time, but some of us haven't been able to get stable. Why can't we get stable? Well, you know, when the cloud moved, brother, uh, you got to be ready to move. But you've been moving in and ain't no cloud been leading you. Matter of fact, the clouds over you are thunderstorm clouds, dark, rain. Chapter seven, he says, beware. Now, at first he says, take heed that you don't do your arms before men. Beware. Beware of false prophets, because that's what that word take heed is. It's another word I'll show you here. Prosecco, I believe. Prosecco is the word. Take heed that you do not your arms before men to be seen of them. Matthew 7, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Have you ever seen a false prophet that looked like a true prophet? Well, you know, when you go to church, they all look like true prophets because they don't have sheep clothing on. They're in the church. And obviously the leader of the church had some confidence in them to let them come in and preach. Not knowing that the leader in them are in cahoots with one another to fleece the people. There's a lot of fleecing that goes on. You know, Doc, when you come, we had the biggest office ever. Can we get you on the schedule this year? And there are some preachers out there, man, they come in and man, they'll make you give up your gold tooth. <laughs> You'll be in the bathroom with a set of pliers. <laughs> now, this is all I got. But I'm not going to miss this offering. Man, they'll talk you out of, I'm telling you, I, I know some. And how do you know God ain't saying it? Because if they say he's saying it, and I, I know some, man, they say, listen, if God didn't say it, I wouldn't say it. Some people, if you know a little bit about forensic science, you know people's tales. You learn 
to know when people are lying. You can watch some of these people and you know they lie. And they're saying God said when God didn't say. Verse 17, Matthew chapter 10, beware of men. Beware of what you do to be seen of men. Beware of false prophets. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And, you know, this is interesting stuff. Some stuff I paid attention to. I pay attention to what's going on around the world. Now, some of you all may be aware that there was an assassination in Haiti. And in a matter of days, they found the people who did it. How? Some folks ratted them out, told on them, pointed them out, and they were able to round them up. And now in the era of video cameras, folks are always videotaping stuff. Some of you know on January 6th, there was a breach in the Capitol. Do you know that the majority of the people who are facing trial now was turned in by their own family members who recognized them? Turned them in by their own family members. I've seen interviews of sons and daughters telling on their dads and their moms, co-workers. Well, you know, I was on his Facebook page and I saw him. He's bragging about this and she's bragging about that. And if you go to this Facebook page and you'll see it. And now it's like you got all these people in many situations. And this is going to be the situation to come to where your own brothers Sisters, family members, co-workers, they're going to rat you out to the devil. Yes, they are. They're going to tell on you. They're going to turn you in. You don't take the mark. <clears throat> you know, they dial in one of these numbers where you don't have to leave. Just give us the information. We won't tell them you told us. You won't? No. We won't. But now they catch you and they say, how you caught me? Well, one of your family members pointed you out. And with a little investigation, you figure out real quick. And then they turn around and say, well, you know, now that they done figured you out, then can we get you to testify? Well, see, that was all part of the plan. The enemy is smarter than you. The only one smarter than the devil is Jehovah. He's the only one smarter than the devil. And the only way you're going to outwit the devil is operating in obedience to the instructions of the Most High. That's the only way. Otherwise, you, you know, you serpent food. You dust. Remember in the garden when he judged him, he says, listen, the devil is going to do what? The serpent, because he says the old serpent, that dragon, that devil. You're going to crawl around on the belly and guess what your food is going to be? Dust. Well, what is man made from? You smart? You think you're smarter than God? See how that work out for you. Matthew 16, 7, I'm bringing it to an end. And they reason among themselves. He says, now, he talked about leaven. They said, he's saying this because we don't have any bread. They reason among themselves saying it is because we have taken no bread. So here they are having this conversation. Oh man, we didn't take no bread. Now Luke tells us that they had at least a loaf, but they're saying we don't have no bread. Basically they're saying we don't have enough bread or whatever. 
which when Yeshua perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason you among yourselves because you brought no bread? Do you not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Neither the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many baskets you took up? See, the 5,000 and the 4,000 had bread and fish. Now, we know that sometimes when you look up the word for bread, it, you know, artus, if you look at it, it also includes food. But Yeshua didn't mention the fish. But we know they had bread and fish, right? So remember the seven and the fish? Here's the point. They saw this miracle. They saw Messiah twice do a miraculous sign with a very small amount. And yet, now they're reverting back to their own way of thinking. Do you know you can receive a miracle from the Almighty and then go through another situation and revert to your own way of thinking? Don't you remember what he did before? Don't you think he can do it again? Then why are you thinking your way instead of looking to him? How is it when you didn't have no insurance, you called Dr. Jesus, but now you got insurance, you called the family doctor. Well, you know, I can get you in uh, next week, but my pain is now, doc. Well, if an opening come in, then, you know, we'll call you. Now you want to call on the Lord. That should be our first call. The disciples heard Yeshua mention leaven and assumed an associated bread to what he was saying when in fact he was not talking about bread at all. People hear words and assume and associate meanings to what you are saying when in fact that is not what you're saying. You ever spoke to people and what they heard and what you said is not the same thing? Because something you said, they associated something to it and they at that point know what you're talking about. It's like, well, let me finish. Well, ain't no point in finishing. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> People make assumptions. Verse 11, how is it that you do not understand that I spoke not to you concerning bread? So what is he doing? He's rebuking his disciples. He says, you all have seen these miracles. You've seen the works that I did. And now you're reasoning among yourself in the natural. Don't you know what I can do? And so he's rebuking them. He says, how is it that you do not understand that I spoke it not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Sometimes you got to rebuke people before they get it. If you allow people to continue and they don't have it, or you even compliment them on something that you know is all jacked up. You know, if you compliment somebody and they all jacked up, they think they look good. I mean, if, if I'm jacked up, tell me. Don't say one thing and then talk to someone. He don't even know he jacked up, did he? You know, no, don't do me like that. It's like talking to somebody and they got spinach in between their teeth and you look away when they smile. Can he feel that spinach? Obviously not. Why don't you tell him, hey, bro, you got spinach in your teeth. 
You ever talk to somebody, you know, men, men, men have a hard time with this one. You're talking to a brother and his pants unzip. It's like, why are your eyes down there? It's like, hey, bro, hey, man, your pants unzip. Thanks, bro. <laughs> we have to look out for each other, not compliment lies. So now they understand because he rebuked them. In Mark, Yeshua included Herod. He says, now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than what? One loaf. So now we see there was a loaf in the ship. How many loaves did Yeshua need? You know, in order to multiply bread, he, he at least needed one loaf. Because that's how he did it in the previous times. He took the fish and the loaves and he multiplied them. Now, they're reasoning that they don't have any bread when, in fact, they do have one loaf. And it's like, you got a loaf. Don't you remember what he did with the loaves? How many loaves do you need? And he charged them, saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Who is Herod? Herod is the king. Herod represents the government. Beware of the teachings of your government. Beware of the teachings of your church leaders. Beware of the teachings of your bishops, your popes, your apostles, your pastors, your teachers. If what they're saying don't line up with what is written, beware. And they reasoned among themselves saying it is because we have no bread. Now they say we don't have any bread, but they had a loaf. It's like, you see, sometimes we don't even know what we got. And all you need is a little faith. That's it. The word leaven here, Zuma, deals with mental and moral corruption. It's leaven. Much of the Messianic and Hebrews doctrine are leavened with Phariseeism, Sadduceeism, and Herodiaism. Thinking Hebraic is a fancy word for thinking Jewish. You got to think Hebraically, brother. Who do you know can think Hebraically? Because all the people who are saying that to you are reading and talking to you from Judaism. You got to think like a Jew and not a Westerner. Because what are they looking to? The Jewish writings. Doing the Jewish things. That's why a lot of folks in the Messianic faith in Hebrew roots are practicing Judaism. It's like everybody who's doing Torah portion, the Torah portions wasn't created in the Messianic faith. The Torah portions were created in Judaism. The whole idea of what the feasts represent, the Christians came along, accepted some Messianic teaching, and now they have ascribed prophecy to feasts. But do you know that in Judaism, they know, they teach concerning the association of the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, the eighth day. You read the Talmud, you read their writings, and they'll tell you judgment. People are jumping on the ninth of Av, ninth be Av. All of these things that if you trace them down, they don't come from the Bible. 
They come from the sacred Jewish writings. And we have to be able to separate because within the sacred Jewish writings is the Phariseeism doctrine, the Sadduceeism doctrine, the Herodiaism doctrine. Any patriotism, brother, is the doctrine of Herod. When you exalt patriotism, listen, God is the God of all countries. Every last one of them. The earth is his, the fullness thereof. He's not pitting country against country, superpower against superpower. These are the doctrines of men. And the doctrines of men have hijacked the people of God that the people of God will give their voice to these men to represent them through their vote. And once they get their vote, you are dong because they represent themselves trying to get reelected. Why? Because of power. They want power. Every nation, every nation, including this one is going to have to bow. And somehow the governments of men have established a sense of pride in its citizenship to think it is better than the citizens of another nation. And to prove is where wars come from. Nations rising up against nations to prove it's the superpower. It's the most power. It's the one that the God of heaven backs. It's like, really? The people, the almighty backs are the people who obey his commandments. When you obey his commandments, guess who got your back? The one who gave them. Much of the Messianic and Hebrews doctrine are leavened with Phariseeism, Sadduceeism, Herodiaism, and Judaism. There are some things that while I was coming here that I dictated to myself as it was coming to me. I just want to read some of these because here's some lessons for you and things that you should be able to recognize about yourself to help you clarify whether or not you love the Almighty or not. Because we can convince ourselves that we're in love. It's amazing anyone who has been with more than one person, I'm going to get personal now. If you've been in love more than one time, because the way this thing's supposed to work is that the wife of our youth, the whole idea of father's plan for us, he doesn't change his plan because of society, because of the dictates of society. That's us. But if you've been in love more than once, then it should show you that your love is warped. If you was in love with this woman and now you're not with her anymore and you're in love with another woman and now you're not in love with her or another man and you're not in love, what kind of love are you dealing with? Where is your love coming from? Is that the God kind of love or is that the world kind of love? You have to ask yourself that. I'm just simply putting it out there. I know I get shot at, but that's okay. I'm a big boy. Because 
we have to stop deceiving ourselves. We have to stop lying to ourselves because we're teaching the next generation that it's okay to lie. It's okay to go from person to person to person. You defile the land when you do that. And Father is very concerned about defilement. Matter of fact, he put Israel out of the land because they defied it. They defiled his land. Very concerned about clean and unclean and holy and profane. Don't ever forget that. Ever. Because if you forget that, you don't know him. He called us to be holy, for he is holy and he hasn't changed. Your love for God is not demonstrated by what you believe, but by what you do. The devil believe and tremble. The greatest form of deception I mentioned is deception, is self-deception. We deceive ourselves when we say we believe something, but don't do what we say we believe. If you believe fornicating is wrong and you fornicate, then do you believe fornicating is wrong? If you believe committing adultery is wrong and you commit adultery, do you believe committing adultery is wrong? If you believe lying is wrong and you lie, do you believe lying is wrong? If you believe, then you will do. Otherwise, there's some disconnection. If you say you love God and you don't keep his commandments, just admit the fact that you are lying. That's Bible. You want to know what you believe? Look at what you do. See, if you were a believer and you were about to lie, the Holy Spirit will convict you. You got to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit to continue. If you're about to do something you're not supposed to do, the Holy Spirit will convict you. You got to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit to continue. And the people have ignored the conviction of the Holy Spirit to the point to where they become reprobate in their thinking and convince themselves, even when they deny the work of the Holy Spirit, that they love God still. We got to stop lying to ourselves. Yeshua addresses the Pharisees in his days, and he says, listen, the only sign that is going to be given is the sign of Jonah. And what was the sign of Jonah? Jonah. If you can't recognize the Messiah and you got all this Torah that's supposed to lead you to Messiah, you got all this writing that is supposed to reveal the Messiah when he show up and you can't recognize him, something's wrong with your Torah. When we live for him and we say we love him, then everything in our lives, brothers and sisters, should be filtered through his word. Everything in our lives, every aspect of our being, we should filter it through His Word. And if it meets the Word litmus test, then it's okay. If it don't, we need to reconsider it. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. 
Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.